Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, we're going to go through an overview of various martial arts, looking at their advantages and disadvantages, from the standpoint of what can we use from those arts to improve our own martial art. Joining me in this discussion is Oliver Martinez. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. If you're interested in even more content, please consider subscribing to the Spirit Aikido online program. I'm proud to announce that the program currently has over 260 videos. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to Modern Aikido's podcast and Martial Wisdom. I'm thrilled to have again, once again, my friend Oliver Martinez, uh, sensei in Aikido and Karate from down in Texas, uh, joining us. We're going to talk today about kind of an overview of other martial arts. Um, we both feel strongly and have for some time that cross-training is a great thing to have, but sometimes you can get lost. Like, what do other arts offer that could be a benefit to, to your study. Or you might even be somebody who's just shopping around for a martial art to train in. And so we wanted to just share with you a little bit of our insights on some of the, the different martial arts styles and, and martial sports you can train and practice uh, with one caveat. We do not claim to be experts in all of these. Uh, we have uh, collectively some exposure to a great number of these arts, uh, and in some cases, not very much, but we've been around in martial arts all our lives. And so, um, you know, I've had at least a bit of exposure to almost all of these, but will not profess to know everything about all of them. So if you're expecting a full analysis breakdown of every single other martial art, uh, that's not what we're going for with this show. We want to give kind of an overview uh, of a bunch of different ones. So welcome back, Oliver. I'm I'm super excited about this particular conversation. Um, you know, we've we've spoken in the past. I think in the Aikido world, cross training is becoming more widely accepted, and um, thankfully, and people are supporting it. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, and if you are an Aikido practitioner, you're like, okay, well, where do I go? What's next? You know, what what other arts might complement what I'm doing, or your approach might be like, what is completely different that I'm doing? Mm -hmm. uh, so. You know, I love I love talking martial arts just like you. So going through these and seeing which um, might be beneficial to your listeners, uh, what might not be what they're looking for, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get started, I want to say that uh, we're going to be honest and forthright here, but with respect. Um, anything that we offer for our observations is not meant to be. Uh, critical or personal to any practitioners. It's just our impressions of the arts and the strengths that they offer and some of the, the, the weaknesses that they do. So, uh, and we're going to start out with Aikido because it's our art and there are some shortcomings and we want to be uh, kind of honest about what those are, because that's the first thing you need to do to fix something, right? Is you have to address that it's a shortcoming. And Absolutely. we also admit that there is no such thing as the perfect martial art. They all will have some weaknesses. They'll all have some holes uh, and different arts fit different people's personalities. And that's, totally cool. In fact, it should be. I don't think there should be one universal martial art that is the ultimate everything for everybody, because that's just impossible. Um, so with that, I want to jump into Aikido first. Uh, it's obviously the one I'm sure the two of us know mo the most about. Um, and that is to say, I, I, I will start with the strengths. And in my opinion, one of the strengths of Aikido is that 
it does, like many other arts, deal with you are standing and you want to remain standing. And, and uh, where it tends to, to be the art that I really like is that it's, it's focused on putting your opponent on the ground and controlling him while you are standing. And in that sense, it relates back to ancient uh, Greek pancreation, which was very much focused on controlling an opponent on the ground versus that pancreation had strikes and whatnot and, and integrated with it uh, more than modern Aikido does. But um, I think that that's one of its strengths. Um, and I also believe that a great strength is that it is a fantastic martial arts for civilian self-defense application because it is not focused mm -hmm. on merely doing the maximum amount of, amount of damage to somebody to get them to stop attacking you. Um, the, the word we use at our academy is scalable. Uh, the Aikido is really, really scalable. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very scalable. My wife's uh, English, I'll, I'll have her. I'm sure, she'll, I'm sure she'll let me know either way when sure. she sees this. Um, but yeah, yeah the grappling is scalable that way, yes. which is fantastic. Yeah. Whereas if you look at um, some other arts, sometimes they're not terribly scalable. Like it is about uh, as much trauma to the body as, as humanly possible, as quickly as possible. And then it's, you know, it's kind of, I'm sure experts can pull their punches and still be effective. Right. But I think for most of us, it's either you hit as hard as you could or, or you didn't, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a tough one to gauge whether you're going to be uh, effective if I pull that punch or, or not. So, but I, Aikido and other arts uh, of similar vein have the ability to go like, are we going to control? Are we going to up the level of force, lower the level of force? Mm -hmm. um, and at least that idea is built into it, which is very different than some other martial arts that, that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, and one other strength I want to cover it, and that is that it really does focus on excellent control of joint of the body via joint locks. And I think mm -hmm. that there are very few other arts out there that do joint locks as scrupulously as, as Aikido does. Um, we really look at the minutia, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I've run into another, a number of martial artists from other disciplines that will openly say, do not let an Aikidoka get a hold of you. Uh, Cause if they get a hold of one of your joints, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and that's, it's nice to see that respect, especially given a lot of the disrespect that seems to be thrown Aikido's way, uh, particularly via the internet. Um, so, and I don't want to dwell on any one art too long. So, cause we got quite a bit of, quite a list of a lot of arts to cover today, but we do, I, I do I, want to give one intangible strength that, uh, yeah. I think Aikido brings, and I think it's good to set the tone for the rest. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that I think Aikido's brought to the table for me is it's made me a really good student which allows the cross training to be effective sure. because of our training method of, of being very observant of what Uke and Nage are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and a you know, because our Ukeme is, is so finely tuned ideally, um, when you're learning another art, I feel like it's accelerated my learning by a lot. Mm -hmm. being able to feel what the teacher's doing or observe like, Hey, did you see how he shifted his weight right there? And I think those are things that Aikido brings to the table. Maybe other arts do, but sure. I know for sure that Aikido does. You know, and, and before we get to the kind of the disadvantages, I, I also commented I, uh, by wrestlers that, that I've heard this from and not just one, but multiple, they said that Aikidoists are very hard to take down because they're, they're, they've got such good movement and are usually so elusive. Now that's not every single Aikidoka, but in general, because we work so much on movement and usually on, on good footwork, uh, it's nice to see that respect kind of shown our way by uh, 
practitioner by wrestlers, which is a discipline I have a, one of the highest regards for. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see that. Now, as we break down a number of these arts, it occurred to me that I tend to look at a lot of arts through into kind of put them into two categories. And one is they are active um, live arts that involve a live opponent or some kind of, you could call it sparring, some kind of, I hate to use the C word competition, but you're, you're actually working against somebody who's trying to best you. You're, you're both trying to do your best to prevail. And then maybe a good word to be the academic arts where, which the focus is on katas, forms, on technical precision, but you don't have that active element of somebody trying to dominate you in a creative manner. Um, so the biggest criticism I think I would throw to Aikido is that there's a lot of Aikido that's heavy into the academic realm where the, there's an obsession with technical precision to the point where the dealing with a live and active opponent is, is maybe even fully ignored, if not just not dealt with very often. Um, and we see the result of that with a lot of demonstrations, which look clearly choreographed. And I'm not talking about choreographed like move to move to move to move, as much as a attacks are narrow, narrowly defined. Uh, you can choose which attack you want, but it's they're all going to happen exactly the same way. Um, the choreography between Uke and Nage is well known. Uh, the the practitioners themselves probably have practiced tons against each other and are, can predict each other's movements and there's telegraphing and all those kinds of things going on. And I think that that's probably one of the most credible criticisms of Aikido from the general martial arts world is that it tends to be just a little too academic. It's a little too sterile. Maybe that'd be a good word. Cooperative of, and collusive. Right, a little too yeah. cooperative all the time, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's fine to train that way have a portion of your training that way, but you a good martial art has to be able to perform when there's stress on it as well. Yeah, I think, and I think that would be the number one valid criticism right there. It's just, there's a, there's a hole in the training methodology. Mm -hmm. um, that hole can be filled, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't let, let, let us off the hook. Sure. That is a valid criticism that, that Aikido, uh, at least modern Aikido, does have that gap in its in its training methodology so and i know we could like just dive into oh, that yeah, we could, we i think that that's fair that, that we leave it there and go like some of this is going to be covered as we move on into other exactly things. yep and so with each of these arts i'll, I'll kind of mention a, you know is this one more in the live realm or is this more in the academic realm um and because this is so closely related i wanted to hit aiki jujitsu next and we're not going to do these in alphabetical order it just happens to be the next <laughs> one that comes up now there are different styles of Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, Daito-ru being one of the most notable ones of them, and it is the predecessor art of, of Aikido. What I've seen and even had Aiki Jiu-Jitsu practitioners tell me is that Aiki Jiu-Jitsu and Daito-ru tend to be very academic. There is little or no attention for, dealing, for practice or training methods that deal with active opponents. And this is something that I think a lot of Japanese arts tend to have happen to them. I mean, even if you look at the tea ceremony thing, uh, I think it's called Chudo, if I remember right. Um, very much a ritualistic practice that really doesn't have much to do with making and drinking tea, with, but that's, it's been turned into a, this, right. this ritual. 
Uh, Kudo has gone that way. A number of arts have gone into that theoretical and ritual realm. And I think Aiki Jiu-Jitsu has a lot of that. Um, of course, it has a rich martial heritage, but it's what it has evolved towards. So I have, a, if I am remembering correctly, I have maybe an hour my entire life in any form of Aikido Jiu-Jitsu, and it wasn't even Daito Ru. Okay. Uh, so I, from a from a hands-on perspective, I'm not a great uh, person to speak on this. What I do like doing is looking at Daito Ru, the, the kata that they do, the katas that they do. I'm not even sure that they call them that. But if you look at their technical catalogs, and I essentially really just use them as a way to reference what we're doing now and go, okay, we used, those things used to be present, but maybe we're not seeing them now. Or, oh, well, that's an interesting variation. I could see why it's just a slight variation of something that we do. So maybe that's why it's not widely, but those variations are interesting, you know? Um, but honestly, I pretty much only look at Aiki Jiu-Jitsu as an academic practice to inform what, what I'm doing now, but in terms of hands-on, not the best guy to, sure to comment sure. either way. And, and I, I, like, guess, I like looking at it. I like watching yeah, it. I, absolutely. And yeah. in fact, I've got a number of uh, older Aiki Jiu-Jitsu books that make, I think, great references. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed looking through them. And, and uh, it's, it's also a, an art that's hard to find regardless of which discipline there's not many mm -hmm. dojos around to, to uh, get into it. If you want to do that, um and really the balance that's is, actually a really good criteria as we go through this list in terms of things that are beneficial or not beneficial sometimes mm -hmm. you just can't find the stuff it's yeah it's you know or it's going to be regional you know mm -hmm. um i remember probably after the seagal movies came out a lot of there was a lot of aiki jiu-jitsu all of a sudden mm -hmm. and then like you look into it, you're like well really that's just aikido and you just change the back of the name. like you just change right. the name right right so right. to find a legitimate aiki jiu-jitsu school that has a, a, a an official lineage mm -hmm. uh, at least here in the states i think is not easy right not easy. yeah it's, that's it's, definitely a drawback yeah the accessibility is kind of low and on the other end of that accessibility uh spectrum uh, we come into our next art which is karate now karate mm -hmm. has got so many different forms we're not going to get into all the varieties and different ruse and schools and things but you know we have things like tang sudo uh, Kempo Karate, you have Japanese Karate like Shotokan, which I, mm -hmm. I did back in my teens. Um, too many to mention, and I certainly don't want to show any disrespect by omitting any of them. But the one thing that I do that I admire a great deal about Karate, as you go back was, and this is there's a contrast between modern expressions of Karate and what it was, you know, 100 years ago or more, which was it was a general uh, empty hand fighting style. It seemed to, to have, and again, it depends on what region and where your the particular style came from, but it did include everything from striking to locking throws. It was pretty much as close to a fully comprehensive art as you could hope for. Um, right. And, and again, with the, the variations aside, almost all karate has evolved into more of a specialized modern either a sport art or a, a smaller subset of fighting. And there have been a number of contributing factors for that. But uh, as we look at it, that seems to be what the modern expression of karate is. Um, and you're, you are a karate instructor, so you can probably illuminate this even better than yeah. that. So our academy has two parallel lines, basically, that we sort of stem from. 
Uh, the first one comes from uh, J. Pat Burleson um, and the karate that was taught in Texas. This was referred to as blood and guts era of karate. And so this is coming out of the late 60s, early 70s, and it was born from competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one definitely had a more striking base to it. So it's what you would think. Your hand strikes, your foot strikes, you know, your spinning kicks, all that that kind of stuff. Uh, over the last decade and a half or so, we've been um, pursuing Ian Abernathy's approach. So it's more about going back to the kata and uh, looking at the applications that are recorded in the kata. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at our academy, we've kind of trained both of those. We kind of train a sport track and we're very clear, like, hey, this is coming from this, this sport line. Mm-hmm. And we look at the bunkai or the uh, kata application line. They're very compatible. They work really well together. Um, I think if you were looking at a karate school, I think it's helpful to ask that question. You know, um, you guys do katas. How do you use them? Are you using applications from them? Or is it just uh, a solo practice? Are you a competition school? If so, which rule set do you guys use? So, Because like you said, there are so many different varieties. Um, if you're serious about learning the martial art of karate, then I think you need to ask some questions. Like, what exactly is it that you guys do? Because the term itself is is wide open. It could mean many, 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 many things. Um, that would be my recommendation. Where do they fall on that spectrum between uh, yeah. active art and academic? Because mm-hmm. I've seen karate uh, dojos that are very academic and they don't do any sparring or don't do any live work. And then there are others that, that have, not only do they do sparring, but they will also have competitions and, and, and that sort of thing. And we know that, you know, within rule sets, there are limitations that you can't do your entire art necessarily for safety reasons, but dealing with an active opponent is something I think is, it's easy to uh, underappreciate that Mm -hmm. you can have a great mastery of technical detail and you can do katas superbly, but when you face an active opponent, you just are are, you crumble. You're just not prepared for that. It's a whole new right. world. Um, I suppose you'd compare it to somebody who plays tennis that can, you can have the, the shoes and the shorts and the racket, and you can go out and, and do what looks like great swings and strikes. And then you get an opponent and that ball's going all over everywhere. Um, right. You know, uh, <clears throat> it really is. I think, I think personally, this is for me that important and, and, you know, uh, having a full contact background, I've faced hundreds of thousands of opponents in live, full-on live bouts. And the tools themselves, whether you're using a particular uh, striking, like with uh, your fists or your feet or grappling, all of those things, the tools are a secondary thing to that matching somebody's will mm-hmm. to, to dominate you and dealing with that effectively. And I think that that should not be overlooked. Um, of course, again, it's, it's up to everybody's taste. But the one thing about karate, it does seem to have probably some of the greatest accessibility. Um, there are many karate schools around. Uh, it's probably going to be one of the first ones along with Taekwondo. And, mm-hmm. and we could put Taekwondo in its on, on its own category here for this. But I would kind of lump Taekwondo into karate because it's absolutely tend to have yeah. a lot of similarity. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of their expression. So, and, and so that is probably the most accessible art in, in the United States. Is and that is both a drawback and a, um, 
a benefit an advantage because you could drive a mile from wherever you are whoever's watching this drive a mile one way or the other you will find a karate school mm-hmm. that's good that's great i'm glad the quality control is is almost impossible there's just right. no way to know what you're what you're going to get so my recommendation would be ask a lot of questions but regardless i think even just the exposure to like kicking for example or some of the different hand strikes that a, a typical karate would use is beneficial to an aikido mm-hmm. uh practice to some extent it is it is uh beneficial again yeah. the better the school the better off you'll be but in general i think you'll get a good idea of like what is a sidekick how how do round kicks work you know mm-hmm. Uh, how do you set them up? I, I think those things are are worth investigating. Absolutely, and I would say that that as you know, as a weakness, uh, in addition to what you kind of mentioned, is that uh, with any sport kicking style, uh, the weakness is if you kick above somebody's knee, your leg can get caught. And mm-hmm. in a sport where they've restricted catching legs, then you can get away with that. Um, mm-hmm. And this is just my personal. I like looking at okay, what can I use that's not going to get me totally in trouble if I had to use something for real? And, and that's where I want to transition into uh, Savat, which uh, I got exposed to some Savat uh, years ago, and it was more of the historical self-defense Savat rather than mm-hmm. the modern sport Savat, which really is looks a lot like Taekwondo. Um, there are some variations and differences, but but I love Savat's low line kicks. And I, I, once I got exposed to them, I realized why Bruce Lee took a number of them from, from that source, his low shin kicks, uh, you know, the, the, the number of the, the great low line kicks that he loved, he got right from old school Savat. Um, I think it's one of the premier kicking arts uh, that are out there. <clears throat> And I like the combination with the, the French boxing, which they kind of go hand in hand. Um, so any of my savat exper- exposure comes from my JKD background, my Jeet Kune Do background. Mm-hmm. And so, which is almost, I would not be able to tell you exactly what was pulled from savat and what, what wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the stories that uh, Guru Dan and Asano tells, it could be quite a bit. It could be uh, uh, more than I would have uh, attributed to originally so i know it's a i know it's a good system i think it has the same thing uh not going for it that jujitsu uh, aiki jujitsu does i mean there's no savat schools right yeah my neighborhood you know pretty close to zero um and i know it's it is still a sport so there are mm-hmm. savat schools around but uh it's and the, the what is taught is a lot like um modern fencing if you want to okay. get into, you know historic rapier fighting in the 16th century modern fencing is so far off that you know it's it's almost unrecognizable. something else right yeah yeah um so the next one i wanted to jump into is and i want to cover these kind of together but sumo i think sumo is one of the most overlooked arts when it comes to aikido's lineage uh because every japanese young man you know, 50 years to 80 years and prior, sumo Mm -hmm. was just like a part of their everyday life, kind of like in America, it used to be that, you know, little, little boys played baseball, or t-ball, or softball, you know, it just is that everybody did it, everybody knew what it was, or I suppose if you go to Brazil, or uh, or places in South America, Europe, soccer, uh, you know, it's ubiquitous, everybody did that. And I think that, you know, as much as Aikido has tend to say that, that Aikido 
comes from the Japanese battlefield. And I did a great, Ellis Amder and I had a great conversation. That was a phenomenal podcast. If you guys haven't heard that podcast, you should stop this one. Go listen to that one. And then come back. That <laughs> you know, was it, awesome. it was fantastic. I really think that due to the empty hand nature and the, the I think Aikido is really a standing grappling art. I think sumo had a lot of influence over, over the art of Aikido, probably and judo. Now, here's the problem we ran into kind of like with the the fencing thing and then ancient you know medieval rapier fighting and that is modern sumo is usually done by extraordinarily large athletes you know beyond heavyweights that are you know hitting each other when you if you say the average Jap young japanese boy or young man was doing sumo they didn't all look like that like it was done right. by regular size people. So it, when you see that what you normally would on YouTube or, or you know, com sumo competitions, it had to look a lot different. I kind of wish I, we could see more of what sumo would look like between regular size people mm -hmm. to understand fully the nuances that are going on that you don't see against, you know, these guys that weigh four or 500 pounds. So sumo is a new fascination for me it is a new infatuation, really, because uh, I just kind of stumbled across it. And I, I saw a match on an Instagram or something like that. And there was like Aikido in it, uh, not the joint locking portion, but the, the throwing portion. Mm -hmm. Now watched another match. Same thing, right? Yeah, a lot of throws, a lot of evasions. I mean, it's right. more subtle than people than it looks like at first. Absolutely. Point. Well, what occurred to me was, you know, one of the um, one of the arguments people use against Aikido's uh, practicality sometimes is like, well, if it's so good, how come you never see it in uh, anywhere else? Sports? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you see it in combat sports? Mm -hmm. And then you watch sumo and you see practically every single match features it, and you realize it does exist in combat sports, but it's a different. Uh, expression so if you look mm -hmm. at sumo you see two people exerting maximum commitment mm -hmm. you know to to this goal mm -hmm. whereas if you look at more western-based combat sports it's a lack of commitment right I'm, i want to set you up i want you to right. think i'm committed but i'm not committed mm -hmm. and then when the time to go then you go but mm -hmm. sumo they say go and it's like boom like they're right. just they're that moment it. is capsulated in one at one one exact moment both know and it's once, coming. Yeah. Once they clash, <clears throat> then it's IQ, right? Who's got the better structure and can shift their weight just enough to redirect this other guy? And you see it almost every single match, something that is identifiable mm -hmm. from Aikido's curriculum. Um, so I, I'm, I'm in love with this. So what we started doing, uh, let's say um, you're an Aikido practitioner. You go, like, okay, I guess we need some sparring. Everyone says we need sparring. I don't know what that looks like. We don't punch. Like we don't know how to box. We don't know how to do this. I say start sumo. Mm -hmm. That becomes your sparring uh, structure. Framework. You get yeah. two guys. You lock up on the belt or the hakama. You say here and here. I'm trying to drive you out. You're trying to drive me out. And that's where you're going to start to learn those, those subtle body shifts. It's live. Mm -hmm. It's contested because your partner is trying to do something. So at our academy, we've sort of introduced that kind of idea, and that's become our, our baseline sparring structure, which mm -hmm. is two individuals fully committed. And then once that clash happens, that's when the Aiki starts to work. 
So uh, no, I love sumo. I, I, I can't wait to learn more about it. And I, yeah. I love watching it. And again, every match you see something identifiable from our, our curriculum. So. Absolutely. And it's fascinating. You're doing that. It's cool to hear, you know, that you're putting it to live work. Um, and I think that I put it in there. It, sumo is not an academic art. It is a live working against an active opponent person, which I love. It is probably the least accessible art out there. Uh, I don't know where you would go to start practicing sumo or what luck anybody would have of finding a sumo. Well, this is crazy, right? Because I, I agree with you, yeah. but I'm in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Mm -hmm. There is a Dallas Fort Worth sumo club. Really? Okay. That's cool. It's awesome. It's these cowboys. I mean, they're literally wearing cowboy hats and they all look <laughs> like the heavyweights and they've got, I don't know what the garb is called, you know, but they're right. in the sumo thing. And mm -hmm. once a week they get together at this BJJ gym. They set up a ring and for two hours, these guys are just like sumoing each other. It's phenomenal. Oh, um, so I would, I would love if that would happen more. Like people just yeah. start clubs, you know? And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you're a BJJ school owner, start a sumo club, see what happens. <laughs> Maybe people will come in, you know? Exactly. Awesome. And that brings us to judo. And, and I've got a, a special place in my heart for judo. I, I really do think that uh, sumo and judo and Aikido were really like, uh, and jujitsu were, were all brothers from the same father, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, judo, the strengths of it, for one, it, it is a pretty popular art. I think it, at least in here in the US, it's sort of diminished in the last 10 years or so. Um, but it, it is widespread. I mean, it's popular enough that it's still in the Olympics. Therefore, you have more judo clubs around than uh you know, than some of the other more obscure arts. Uh, I do like the, the, the live play and, and every, every dojo kind of takes their own perspective of how live they go and how much, how sport judo they're focused versus how much academic judo they're focused on. Um, and, you know, I like that they've got the nawaz of the ground, some of the groundwork for pinning, uh, things like that. And, and that is in the sport aspect. So you can do live, live work on the ground. Uh, they do kind of have a, a boundary for how much ground stuff you're going to do. If things are progress is not being made on the ground, they'll stop it and okay, you got to restart. That's part of their sport rules. So you don't have a judo that tends to go deep into groundwork like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu does. Uh, but interestingly enough, and we're going to talk about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in a minute, really, be, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu should be called Brazilian Judo because, as I understand it, it was not jujitsu that the Gracie family was, was taught. It was judo that they used as their base art to expand upon, uh, expand upon. And I don't know exactly what caused them to call it jujitsu versus judo. That's a whole rabbit hole. We don't really have time to go down. But um, I, the thing that I also, I both like about judo and I also am wary of judo. It kind of assumes that you're always facing your opponent and you are essentially in a clinch that you've got grips on them. Now it's good to know how to navigate from there, but that's one of the worst places that you want to be from a real life self-defense standpoint. Um, and we'll talk a, a bit about more about this when we come to the wrestling part, but the thing I, I like about judo is how, how deeply it's gotten into making the most of that bad situation. You're in front of somebody and you need, they got hands on you and you got to deal with them right then and there. 
The weak side of that is you are in the most dangerous position to start doing things to them, including right. turning your back on them, which you can get away with because the sport of judo is focused on that, that big ballistic throw. But if it goes bad and you turned around and you are right in front of Uke with him facing you to your back, you can be in deep trouble. So it's, mm -hmm. it's to my, in my mind, judo is very high risk. Um, and so as much as I love judo, I and I really do adore it. I love the foot sweeps probably more than anything else in judo, mm -hmm. which tends to be overlooked. Uh, there's no, but no art that does hip throws better than judo. I mean, just flat out. Um, they, they really have got it down and I give them tons of credit for, for making such a science out of a good hip throw. So my, my teacher, Bill Sosa Sensei, ha, had briefly studied judo. If I remember correctly, Sosa Sensei said nine, something like nine months. Mm -hmm. um, and I have not formally studied judo. So any judo that I've got has been filtered through uh, Sensei's Aikido. Mm -hmm. And I, because Sensei was so good at integrating things, I couldn't even tell you what the main influences are. But there's one very clear to me. Uh, sensei was very, very good at chokes, uh, blood chokes. Uh, his sensei, his judo coach, uh, Tamura sensei, apparently was a choke specialist. Like that was his thing. In fact, there's even a story, there's a bigger story, but I'll give you the short version of the story. He was uh, in a match, uh, Tamura sensei was in a match, and he goes in for, I guess, I don't remember, I don't, you know, I think it's a Morote Sayanage or something like that. And he's going over, and when he, his uke hits the ground, I don't think they're called ukes, I guess they're competitors. But anyway, this guy hits the ground, and he's unconscious. And they thought that he got concussed. Mm -hmm. But from the time he latched on, Tamura Sensei choked him out on the way over and put Ooh. him unconscious by the time he hit the ground. Like, that's how good he was at choking, That is right? a choke specialist. That's a choke specialist, right? So Sensei uh, is training under this guy for nine months. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think was unique about Sensei's Aikido is the integration of chokes. Mm. So if there was an Ariminage, there was a choke, mm. right? Yeah. If there was uh, a Tenshinage, you had the opportunity to choke. Um, so I think some of that stuff, I think some of the groundwork that we were doing early on uh, was probably Judo Neiwaza because it was a little bit too early for it to be Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. probably i know the graces were here but i don't think since they had exposure to them but we were doing ground escapes when i showed up in 1992 mm -hmm. um they were pretty primitive compared to what we have now mm -hmm. but you can see i mean it was bridging um we didn't have some of the technical points and things like that mm -hmm. uh, that had to be judo nawaza so i would say the big two contributions that i can spot are the choking uh specifically the rear naked choke uh arm triangle chokes he was really big into and then some of the ground defenses i feel like he he pulled probably from judo so sure. it definitely has an influence on our aikido for sure yeah. and judo is like i said fairly accessible um you know depending on the dojo you go to it may be more live maybe more academic um the one thing about judo that that you have to acknowledge i think is that it can be hard for an adult body to train uh, the, the, the throws can be pretty ballistic. Um, and by mature body, I don't mean, you know, somebody in their twenties, I mean, somebody in their 35, 40, 40 years old or above can have a pretty tough time with judo. Uh, a lot of, uh, 
clubs will have crash pads and things like that to make it go a little easier. But by and large, if somebody was saying, should I do judo? I'd say, you know, if you're in your teens or if you're below 25 years old, jump on it now because mm -hmm. you're going to be able to train in a way and you're going to learn a lot before your body's going to say, no, I don't think you really want to do this anymore. I am a, I still am interested in judo. Mm -hmm. I am approaching the time when I'm not interested in judo anymore. I'm getting very close to where I'm going. Like, sure. I, I had an opportunity, a friend of mine, uh, John Thompson, uh, he's not too far from here. They have a judo club at their school. And I was fortunate enough to see two of their competitors training. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching, like, this is awesome. This is beautiful. This would be so much fun. I was like, I would be dead tomorrow. If I was doing what those guys were doing, I would be yeah. dead. They had these, uh, these two young ladies working, getting ready for competition. And I mean, they were getting after it. It was, it mm -hmm. was pretty awesome. It was pretty cool. But it, it gets, is but fantastic. You're not I, lo I love watching it. I love, uh, mm -hmm. I love playing with it. Uh, but th there's an adage that I heard years ago, and I, and I really love this one, it says the body only has so many breakfalls in it. And, uh, you know, I've met some fantastic judoka, you know, that are older. In one case, it just all of his joints were just bashed up, you know, and I, I shook his hand and I felt like his arm was really only held on by the skin, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, man, you know, and he loved judo, he kept doing it, you know, he's competing as a senior, but he had to go real light on throws and, and in my opinion, my humble opinion, I want to study an art that is not going to destroy my body uh, over a long term. And this is one of the, the plugs I think that Aikido has is it's figured out a way to train throws in such a way that we're not destroying our bodies doing it, um, mm -hmm. which I like. I think it's a good thing. Um, of course, there are you know people that are practicing judo in their middle age or, or, or older and have found a way to kind of blunt down the big ballistic throws. So there's a way to train it. It just has to be, you have to find the right club for what you're doing. Um, and from judo, we can bridge right into Sambo, which, boy, if I was younger, I would be hunting around for Sambo. I have a high regard for, for Sambo as a, as a martial art. Uh, for those who are not familiar with it, it was, uh, it's essentially a hybrid art, a combination of judo, wrestling, and there's a striking element too. There's a, and if I remember right, it's, it has a sport sambo and a combat sambo. Uh, it was Russian and it, it's got, they've got the jackets that have got these weird little, like, ep, uh, not epaulets, but right. little wings on the shoulder. And then they wear shorts with a belt and there's no belt system in uh, sambo. So you won't see colored belts. You'll just see they're either wearing a red or blue outfit that delineates which uh, opponents which uh, in competition. But I really like the combination of the wrestling, the throws, the strikes. Uh, it does seem if there was one art that I think was as, as close to a comprehensive martial art, it would be sambo. I don't think they include kicking, uh, but just about everything else seems to be on the table. Um, so it's, I, I really like it. The, the downside of it, if you're not under 25 years old, pretty much forget it. Like, and it's not a very accessible art. There are very few places to, to study it, even though there are worldwide competitions of it. It can be found, but it's not easy. I don't know, I don't know much about Sambo at all, other than I remember Ola Tuktarov in the early UFC days coming out. And he looked like a video game character, the stuff that he was doing, <laughs> you know, like flipping around, grabbing guys' legs. And so that probably answers your question why there's no kicking is mm -hmm. if I understand correctly, Sambo specializes in leg attacks, uh, leg locks and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. 
you know, that is a <laughs> hole that I think Aikido has is we don't do a lot of attacking of the legs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you could get a sumbo guy in to do a workshop and just mm-hmm. go like, hey, look, we're not we're not teenagers, but could you show us some of the leg stuff? I think that would be beneficial if you have access to that. But again, access is probably going to be a, a problem. Yeah. In most places. Uh, and it, it's as as it is a competitive art, it does appeal to young fit athletes it will make it like any wrestling it will make you an athlete if you practice it and train it so you know you, you don't get cream puff sambo <laughs> competitors or or samboists whatever they would call them um and so a fantastic art good well-rounded art in my opinion um so that gives us gets us to uh, bjj which uh <clears throat> I would consider the BJJ that came out of the 60s and 70s to be a very well-rounded art. I think they took, uh, you know, the Gracies took jujitsu or judo and and filled in the holes and went, made it more well-rounded through the Vale Tudo, the challenges and things like that. And, and by putting it into that much live play, they really took it, took that judo out of the, that academic realm, not to say that it was, the, the judo that they were taught was academic purely, but they really ha- hammered heavy. They shifted heavily into that live, make it work against a live opponent. And I've got a tremendous amount of respect for, for anyone that does that with their martial art, because that's what martial arts were always meant to be, is dealing with that live attacker. And so I've got a great deal of respect for that. Um, I will say, I will echo some of the, even the, the sentiments of some of the, the senior Gracie's like Hickson Grace, who talks about modern sport jujitsu has, has devolved a long, long way from what that Brazilian jujitsu was. And, and I think that no art is immune from the, the damage done by popularity. Um, you know, whether you'd count that, 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 the marketing machine tried to really make a lot of money on having a lot of dojos and a lot of students and the wide appeal. Um, but it's what happens. And Aikido suffered this too with the popularity of the seventies and eighties. And then, then I got a really heavy dose in the nineties with the Steven Seagal movies that came out and the popularity that it, it saw there. Um, it just happens. It happens to arts that, that go through that popularity curve. So if you're if you're an Aikido practitioner and you're kicking the tires trying to figure out, you know, you want to cross, I don't see how you can get away from jiu-jitsu at this point. I, mm-hmm. I feel like to be a good martial citizen, mm-hmm. you at least need to be able to speak that language. It, mm-hmm. It's it's too ubiquitous right now, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um I I think I think you could just dive straight in and just take whatever your coach is giving you. Mm-hmm. But I think if you want to integrate it into your Aikido or or see the parallels, I think you need to be careful about who your coach is and you know where their where their interest lies. Is it is it purely IBJ? You know, um, is it self defense? Is it you know what is it? Right. Um, I I have a good buddy who every Friday we're in his garage and he's my jujitsu coach. And I like that dynamic because I can ask questions and he knows I'm not, he knows I'm not being disrespectful. I'm asking, how does this fit with what I do? What if they were punching me? You know, like if I had a knife in my hand, can we look at that? And it's not disrespectful. Whereas if I was going to a gym, I would never do that. I would never like raise my hand, go, Oh coach, what if I had a knife? Right. It it sounds too, um, 
combative, you know? So you're just going to want to find a good environment where it's okay to ask questions, where uh, they know that, look, I'm trying to figure out where all this stuff fits, but I can't think of a better art to play with your Aikido in a live environment though. Yeah, it, it definitely um, is good for that. Yeah. You know, when I, when I, and when I've crossed paths with, with jujitsu people, I love that they've got the biggest smorgasbord of grappling. Even, even it even eclipses wrestling in terms of mm -hmm. they've just got so much, the depth of all the attacks and all the mm -hmm. maneuvers and, and whatnot that they do is phenomenal. Uh, I enjoy it for that, but with only one caveat, most of that is not very practical for, for what I want from martial mm -hmm. art, which is self-defense kind of real world things. And I, I did hear this amusing story. Um, a, uh, a, a jujitsu student, a new one, uh, came home from one of his first classes and he was shown this really great you know, maneuver and he gets his wife, he says, I wanna show you this, honey. And he gets down and he gets her into this and she reaches up and just grabs his nuts and just twists them. And <laughs> in that one moment he realized, okay, well, there's a little difference here. Between, there's a hole here, right? Yeah. There, there, yeah. There's, yeah, there is a difference there. And, and so what I, as much as I love getting together with martial artists of all stripes, every time I'm watching and learning and, and absorbing and figuring out what I can steal, I'm always looking at, is there a, is this a sport specific type of application or is this something that's gonna be, have sound hoplological principles in it, of principles right. of fighting in general? Because that's where my interest is. And, and I think what you described is getting, one-on-one -on -one is a great place for you to work with somebody to say, let me pick, let me, help me pick through what I'm looking for within this huge yeah. smorgasbord of, of a martial art. Uh, whereas and in a class that's so totally not appropriate, that's you're there for the instructor to share what he has on his curriculum agenda. Yeah. And that's because of jujitsu's accessibility, mm -hmm. Brazilian jujitsu's accessibility, that's never been a better time to approach it like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe 30 years ago, like there's one group in their garage, that's it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can find the right fit for you. You yeah. know, uh, I just it's, it's never been a better time to explore that. I, I feel there's like. one thing too, one advantage uh, props that I have to give the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu community in general is that uh, they are open to new things mm -hmm. and they yeah. are even passionate about even though it can take some time and, and they're passionate about absorbing new things and trying new things and innovating their art. In my opinion, that right there is probably the crown jewel of the positive attitude, the attitude a good martial artist should have. They're not looking to memorize a curriculum. They're not looking to only do their art and everything else they're tone deaf to. The idea that you are always looking, always looking to expand your experience, expand your art, uh, move your horizons out further, like to me that that is what really makes a martial artist um and the example that i i had heard was that when brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, started to get more exposure to wrestlers mm -hmm. what they found was especially with not so much like um freestyle wrestlers but like catch wrestlers they were getting leg locked a lot and they hated it but in time once they got over the emotional reaction, they realized, hey, this leg lock stuff is pretty potent. Maybe mm -hmm. we should start absorbing some of this. And they started doing it. Now, not every single club did. 
you know, some did or some didn't, but they got over that emotional, oh my God, no, I'm not doing that. That's horrible. We're staying away from it. And they got, you know what, we're going to do some of that. And what I've seen and heard of recently is Brazilian jiu-jitsu saying, you know, those wrist locks may have a little something to them. And right. you're seeing a numerous videos from notable people saying, they'll never say the A word. They'll never mention Aikido. Because, no. you know, there's there's like a Hatfields and McCoys thing going on there. You know, at least it seems like from the BJJ community seems to just have a hate on for Aikido. But they don't mind taking wrist locks and forearm locks and and some of the small joint stuff that, that Aikido tends to do and say, yeah, this is kind of cool. And it's not even unique to Aikido. You see some of those things in catch wrestling in some of the old, old school right. wrestling styles where they did use wrist locks, forearm locks, all kinds of things like that. But I can tell you right now, you're more likely to find an Aikido school in your neighborhood than you are a catch wrestling gym. Absolutely. Right. It's, we're we're yeah, going to be coming to, to wrestling here pretty soon. It's, uh, yeah. but, but like I said, I got to give kudos to the, to the, at least the portion of the BJJ community attitude of saying, let's, let's steal what works. Let's take, if it works, we like it. We're going to train it. Even though we may have hated it last month because we, we got taken by it, but for the most part, we want to steal it. And yeah. That's part of innovation. I, I really respect that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we've been doing leg locks now for a couple of years in, in my dojo with my students, and I love them. And one of the best things I like about them is it, and even John Danaher, uh, I heard, if I remember right, he admitted that once you add leg locks into a game, that takes away about 80% of jujitsu's intricate human Tetris <laughs> thing. Because with you get a hold of somebody's leg and you know what to do with it, that can that can shut down a lot of jujitsu, and I kind of like that as my how do I answer the jujitsu question? You know, if I'm faced right. with somebody who really knows their jujitsu, that's one of them. I like the leg locks and I like wrestling for that. And we're going to cover rex, wrestling here in a second. In fact, let's jump to that right now. We'll just cover wrestling. Right. I think that wrestling also is probably one of the fundamental best overall arts that anybody could study. Um, the, and I'm not talking any specific type, uh, but wrestling in general is just so beneficial. It's great conditioning. Uh, it does great for handling and, and manipulating a person. Uh, sometimes they get a little too, they sort of like BJJ geeks out into their style of grappling. Wrestling can do the same thing. It geeks out and it gets deep into, uh, you know, tumbling around uh, on the ground. But I really like uh so much of it, whether it's Greco-Roman or freestyle or catch or shoot wrestling or, you know, all of those have got just great benefits um, to them. Anything you would like to comment about the so wrestling? I have, where I grew up, we didn't have, wrestling was not as popular. I, I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Football was king, right? Mm -hmm. So we oh, didn't yeah, really Texas have wrestling. Football. What'd you say? Texas, yeah, Texas football. football. Yeah. That was yeah, it. I mean, that was it, right? I mean, I, I didn't like football, but that's what everyone else is doing, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have much exposure to wrestling at all. Lately, we're seeing these really good, uh, concise curriculums online being put out there with wrestling. And what we use those types of curriculums for is pressure testing our fundamentals. So for example, if, if we were going to do a unbendable arm demonstration, Right. You know, everyone's done it. Every Aikido practitioner on the planet has done a bendable arm. 
One way to test it is to have somebody try to bend your arm, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone does that one. But another way to pressure test that would be lock up with somebody, put your unbendable arm in the crook of someone's elbow and see if they can get it free to punch you in the face. Mm. That is an unbendable arm demo. That is all that is. Sure. Is it coming? Am I collapsing my structure? Am I sensitive enough to move where their hand is going? If, if I disengage, am I able to get the unbendable arm back out there? And so we found these like wrestling type tie-ups, uh, wrist ties, elbow ties, neck ties, Mm-hmm. Collar ties, I call neck ties. I'm sorry, collar ties, mm-hmm. um, overhooks, underhooks. We found them to be very good mechanisms for testing really fundamental stuff. Like if you say nobody can bend your arm, cool. Let's let's see. Let's find out. Right. Let's see. Can they do it while they're moving in a 360 degree environment? Mm-hmm. If you say, okay, well, all you got to do is get behind the person, tie up with somebody, and try to get behind them. It it can be done, right? Mm-hmm. But it's hard. It's harder than it looks in kata. And so we really like wrestling as not so much for the curriculum. I do like the curriculum. I don't know the curriculum really, but we like the drilling structure because it gives us a, a way to pressure test the things that we say that we're doing. Mm-hmm. A, a wrist a wrist tie is a wrist grab, right? I mean, that's all it is. But when we were coming up, the criticism because boxing was so huge who is ever going to grab your wrist no one's ever going to grab your wrist mm-hmm. you go into a wrestling range the first thing you're going to do is oh grab yeah somebody's right it's a we call it a, they call it a wrist high mm-hmm. but it's a wrist grab so right. if you say well i'm going to do this wrist escape that is a good structure to try it mm-hmm. with some some contested energy so sure. uh yeah we I, I i like wrestling a lot i don't know much about it i'm learning more and more every day um and how it could be useful as a testing tool and a um, probing ground for some of the concepts that we that we do. Sure. You know, I, I've been working for over a decade now with a, a friend with a wrestling background, and he's and I probably, I know I've mentioned this on other podcasts, so if I'm repeating, I don't want to be tedious. But uh, it, he took his wrestling into his law enforcement career when it came to apprehending and uh, restraining subjects. And he, of course, had to alter his, his grappling, but he said the principles there were very sound. You control somebody, and it may start with that wrist grab or they grab you. But in, in every case, you know, he, he'd worked in over 15 years in law enforcement. He'd never had anybody get away from him, nor wow. has he had one single uh, use of force complaint filed against him. So in my opinion, what he's doing really is an expression of what I would call Aikido. You're right. protecting your opponent. You're you controlling them when you need to. You're protecting yourself. And by the way, he's never been injured seriously in any of these. He's been safe every single time with only like maybe a minor scrape or something like that. So like if if I were to define in practical terms what I want from my Aikido, that is pretty much it. Except for, you know, I'm, I don't wear a badge and I'm not dealing with yeah. lowlifes all the time, you know, that are carrying knives and and being, you know, uh, basically what you imagine law enforcement dealing with most of the time or a great deal. And that's one thing we'll, we'll, I will tangent this just a bit. I know this is a little off topic, but again, if you're an Aikido practitioner and you're interested in cross training, I would, I would encourage you to remember what attracted you to Aikido in the first place. Cause most of us would say, uh, it was the ideal, Mm -hmm. right? That I can use minimum effort 
protect myself without unjustly harming my attacker. Like that was the goal, mm -hmm. right? And that's what attracted to us. It was like, that was just a very different mindset. Mm -hmm. But then what winds up happening is then we get attached not to the goal, but we get attached to the method. Right. And then, and then our ego gets tied into that method. So I would encourage you as an Aikido practitioner to go, this was what I was, this is what I was trying to do. So mm -hmm. if wrestling can help you get there or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu can help you get there, just, I mean, embrace it. That's wonderful. You know, that's, that's why you did what you were, that's why you started training in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but we lose sight of that. I think so. No, yeah. nobody, well, I should say this. Most of us did not get into Aikido because we like the curriculum. You don't know enough to like the curriculum. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you like the high falls or maybe you like the aesthetic of it. But then at that point, if you like the aesthetic of it, if that's why you joined, the practicality was never that important. Anyway, it's mm -hmm. fine. Do what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. But if this thing up here, this ideal mindset about how to protect goal. yourself, was it? If that was your ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. take it take it from yeah. everywhere you know wrestling jiu-jitsu judo whatever you can grab mm -hmm. grab it because it'll help you reach your goal yeah and and what i found in in working with him you know and i and we worked together on putting the okay uh, putting together the basically how to survive the ground because i think that that is a glaring hole of many martial arts is and even brazilian jiu-jitsu will say that you can be a black belt on your feet i dump you on your back you're a white belt because you don't know mm -hmm. what to do down there and I said, oh, okay, I want to address this whole, and we work together and put together a curriculum of how to train people right from day one on how to get back to their feet, because that's where we Aikido people do our best work is we want to be on our feet. And just within the last year, this, this whole odyssey that I've gone on to do this culminated in adding even to the yellow belt test, I'll take a student and I'll put somebody bigger on top of them and say, you hold that the person testing, you hold them down on the ground. The goal is the person on the bottom has got to be able to get back to their feet. And we've given them all the tools to do that. And it has worked. I've been thrilled with seeing the results because that's that ultimate goal that you talked about. Right. Ultimate goal is nobody can hold you down on the ground. Now, of course, initially we're starting with an unskilled person who's bigger and physical is trying to hold you down as opposed to now you get an NCAA you know, collegiate wrestler who's trying to hold right. and that's a different level of challenge, but you have to start with somebody bigger trying to hold you down and you have to be able to get back to your feet. And uh, it's a formula. It's not, it doesn't have to do with being more athletic or stronger, more explosive. It has to, you have to know the movements and, and wrestling has provided and some jujitsu as well has provided a great framework to do that with. Um, in fact, I'm looking at putting together uh, a fundamental program for, and I'm working with a, a dojo right now out in uh, Connecticut of helping them put, the, bring this into their Aikido. Awesome. Uh, like how to, how to do it from, you know, brick by brick. How do you build that up? And I was surprised at how little it took, not to say that it's insignificant, but it, you don't need, you know, 200 hours of, a year of training to be able to get back to your feet. You can do it a lot less time than that, especially when it's all organized together. And that's, I've been so thrilled to, to work with him and, and put that together. So, um, you know, no, you don't know everything about wrestling and no, you're not going to be able to compete with a competitive wrestler, but that's really not the goal. You get tackled out somewhere. You should be able to get back to your feet pretty fast. Right. Um, 
like that's the bait that's the first goal and then as students become more senior and if we can start that at yellow belt and that's our baseline now as they get up and more experienced now the challenge increases now we deal with more you know you get leg lock attacks or you get attacked like you would be from somebody who's got a bit of grappling experience and then we be able to deal with it so all right, we don't want to go too deep because uh, I talk about any of these in, in, in great depth. Oh, we can do but, a podcast. But I will seen. say one last thing about wrestling. Unless you're in high school or in college, you will probably never get any access to wrestling. It's really one of the hardest ones to get access to. And I count myself very lucky to know an adult wrestler who, like you were talking about, we work one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. I've invited him in to come and teach my students, work with us. He's great. Um, but finding somebody like that's not easy to do, um, mm -hmm. especially somebody who's gone past the sport realm of their high school or their college wrestling to teach. All right. How, how does this apply to real world? What do you want to avoid and what do you want to stick with in terms of fundamentals? Right. So can be hard, but um, hard to do. But I, I've heard that catch wrestling is is trying to make a comeback. Uh, so there are some some resources if people are really interested in that. I, I would put catch wrestling probably at the top of my list for practical real world application as opposed to freestyle or sport wrestling. They're, they're great too, uh, but they're specialized into their sport, um, which quite a few arts are. Um, all right, so to jump to the next one, I wanna cover, and we'll cover both of these together, uh, Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun. Uh, much like Daito Ruaiki Jiu-Jitsu is to Aikido, Wing Chun is to Jeet Kune Do. It is kind of the parent art, although Bruce Lee did so much to innovate Jeet Kune Do, I would almost say that the Wing Chun is pretty much unrecognizable when you see the two of them, you compare them side by side. So I have a, I have a, a Jeet Kune Do background, um, mm -hmm. probably next to the Aikido, I've probably spent the, uh, Karate and, and Jeet Kune Do have spent about equal amounts of time in. Mm -hmm. And Guru Dan will say this, like when, when they do the Junfan, which is the, the Bruce Lee expression uh, mm -hmm. of the martial arts, his Wing Chun people are like, that's awful, Wing Chun. You know, like right. they just look at it like, that's not Wing Chun. That's terrible, right? But again, they, he pulled from it, but it's not it, you know? Right. So you got to keep that kind of in, in mind. I, now, I know a lot of Jeet Kune Do people uh follow their roots and do formally train wing chun i i have never done it, so i i can't say uh either either way but um you know years ago i i kind of wanted to, to search out wing chun and what i found was uh and this kind of touches on our accessibility almost every wing chun instructor was a jeet kundo instructor that would teach mm -hmm. wing chun kind of on the side or or right. is, you know uh <clears throat> But there were very, I, I was hard, I could not find one Wing Chun instructor who did not do Jeet Kune Do at all that they're just, Wing. and I'm sure they're out there. I don't think it's going to be easy. It's, yeah, uh, it's I mean, probably not going to be very easy. Because that is where uh, the Wing Chun was basically exposed to America was through that Jeet Kune Do filter. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I'm thinking there's certain places, like if you have access to a Francis Fong Academy or something like that, like you could get strict Jeet Kune Do. I'm sorry. Uh, strict Wing Chun, but I think you're right. Uh, same thing with Filipino martial arts, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. You're good. They're going to be packaged together under that JKD mm -hmm. uh, banner, which is if you're if you're an Aikido practitioner and um, you're looking for a little bit of stress, Jikundo is a good place to park for a little bit as an Aikido practitioner mm -hmm. because you won't be an expert, but you'll get to see a little bit of trapping. 
you'll get to see the kickboxing. You'll get to see some weapons. Um, depending on the academy, you will probably be exposed to the, ju- the jiu-jitsu. Um, it, it's a really nice one-stop shop to be exposed to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. None of them will most likely be specialized enough for you to feel like you're an expert in them. But it's just as a way to go, what does kickboxing look like? You know, what does knife work look like? What does, you know, uh, Filipino stick fighting look like? Uh, you'll probably have a little uh, Muay Thai exposure because that's filtered its way through. So any Muay Thai I have, I get through the JKD curriculum, you know. Right. So I'm not a Muay Thai guy, but I've been well, exposed to it through that curriculum. With your JKD background, let me ask you this. Where do you think JKD generally rests on the spectrum between a live art with active sparring and the academic study of technical detail? Because I've, I've been exposed to some JKD instructors and, and instruction, but not enough to, that I would consider it a decent sample rate. But I haven't seen sure. much for the so, sparring and live opponent thing. I would say it depends on the academy. Um, at like, like everything, right. Depends on the instructor, depends on the school, but there's, because there's a Muay Thai component, jujitsu is getting more prominent part of the, the curriculum. Um, and again, the way it's integrated, usually there is a Muay Thai class, a jujitsu class, a Kali class, a Junfan class, which is like where some of their kickboxing, uh, their Western kickboxing structure comes from. I would say you're probably going to run into it. You're, you're going to run into some sparring and some live training. Now, where I will say it's a 50-50 kind of a, a crapshoot is in the Filipino martial arts. You might see sparring or you might not. It just depends on whether that instructor has been exposed to it or, or not. You know? Sure. Um, you know, I come from the seminar circuit. So like when we're in the seminars, I mean, we don't, we don't really spar. But my instructor who was here, um, we would. You know, while we were here, we would do it. So it, again, it's really just going to depend, but I'd say probably about a 50-50 shot of, of having some live live sure. exposure. Yeah. And, and I, I've looked around and JKD does seem to be fairly accessible. Like there are some mm-hmm. dojos around that have instructors that you can find. Um, now in your neck of the woods, you've got some really high level, solid JKD practitioners. Yeah. The Twin Cities for whatever reason is, is got quite a bit of martial arts presence here, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, and as well as Filipino martial arts, we've got a fair amount of, and we've got, we've got this on our list to cover some of the, you know, the Eskrimas, the Kalis, uh, things like that. Uh, and I would say similarly, I've had a little bit more exposure to the Filipino martial arts. They seem to be very similar in their practice method to JKD, where they do uh, the academic side, they do some active drilling. I don't know how much they do in the full sparring, uh, but you know, the ones that do seem to do things like we pad up, they put on some type of helmet or headgear mm. and they're smack, you know, a little bit more dog brothers than, than right. just doing speed drills. But the one thing I, I've noticed about both uh, JKD, and this is just kind of a humorous observation, G- JKD and Filipino martial arts is they're kind of speed freaks. They, they will usually speak fast. They move fast. They do their drills fast. They want to do fast, 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 everything. And, you know, I, and I... <clears throat> As a competitor, as a especially young competitor, I was very in, seduced by being fast. I thought, boy, being fast is just that's the ultimate. Nobody can beat you if you're fast, if you're faster than they are. And then I saw true skill. 
and it wasn't based in speed it was based in timing there's a level above that speed and so i right. realized well okay yeah i'm young i've got fast hands i am pretty fast but if i'm going to be smart i'm not going to be seduced by speed i'm not going to produce i'm not going to pursue speed for its own sake and and i'm getting older you're never going to get faster as you get as you get into your you know as you get as you age and so that's i kind of realize okay speed's great but don't let it be the 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 one and only but then that's just the funny every single jkd and uh, instructor that i have it's like they've just down to half a case of red bull and they start teaching there's two i have some theories on that <laughs> coming from that world so from the tactical speed part mm -hmm. um i had one of my jkd instructors made this comment and i never thought of this he said june fawn is a speed-based system yeah. and i never thought of systems falling into those categories before but the more i thought about it, i was like that's true you're using your mm -hmm. lead hand you're using the eye jab you're using that that stomp uh sidekick it's a speed-based system mm -hmm. and most arts that teach preemptive striking are going to be speed-based systems right and by the same token how... you could say wrestling and grappling is a strength-based system it's a strength-based yeah. system right yeah and i never thought of things in, in, in those terms before mm -hmm. um not to say there's not skill right it's just that i mean those guys are in the weight room right yeah it's not for no reason mm -hmm. so in terms of the presentation of the speed my suspicion is when guru dan does a workshop we get you get two days two eight hour days he is cramming a year's worth of material into 16 hours right mm -hmm. So he teaches fast. He has no choice. He has to teach fast. Mm -hmm. Most of us are students of Guru through the seminar system. Like we're not at his academy in California. Mm -hmm. We see him twice a year. It's been a while, but because of COVID and everything, mm -hmm. we see him twice a year, 16 hours at a time. And we're emulating what, we're, what we see, right? Sure. We're emulating our teacher. Mm -hmm. He teaches fast. We teach fast, you know? And so sometimes, even in Aikido, I will say, hey, this is going to be Guru Dan style. Here's five things. I'm going to give you seven minutes. Knock yourself out. But I always preface it by saying, like, get ready, guys. It's Guru Dan time, right? But it's not because he's fast. He has no choice. Right. He, he, he must teach that way in order to get mm -hmm. all of that material in. So that would be my theory on this. So as to why all us JKD guys are, are always amped up like that. So. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and you mentioned it with this one, and this is one that I wanted to cover because I've got a great deal of respect for it, which is Muay Thai. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it's a very potent art. Um, I think a lot of people view it as being almost one of the ultimate arts. I don't necessarily agree with that, but some of the tools that it has are phenomenal. Uh, the two of the, that come to mind right away, the, that thigh kick is one of the best kicks kicks out there and i'm a savat lover which those are my top kicks but mm -hmm. that thigh kick boy what it can do and how easy it is to to use it boy howdy i mean it's just fantastic and then the use of the elbows both defensively and offensively and i think that comes uh if you want to trace back the the approach that muay thai uses whether or not it actually came from here or not is de debatable but uh old Greek boxing, uh, uh, Pygmachio, that used that high, that high, high guard, guard with yeah. arms up. 
Uh, it looks very similar to Muay Thai because it's practical. It is absolutely useful. It makes it hard on your for your opponent to get to your head and neck and the, the sensitive areas. You can attack from there. Um, it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, I think Muay Thai has got a great deal going for it. Um, I don't know how accessible it is here in the United States. Uh, I've not seen a lot of Muay Thai gyms or, or clubs around. I'm sure that they do exist, but not maybe that accessible. But I also like that live opponent aspect. They have, as much as they do training and conditioning and, and drills like a box or any other martial sport athlete would, it seems Muay Thai is very focused on dealing with a live opponent. And that's, that's a good thing. As far as accessibility, I bet if you shopped around to your local MMA gyms, I would be surprised if they didn't have a, a Muay Thai class. I would think, so I don't think you're going to see a Muay Thai gym. I think what we're going to see going forward is they're going to be enveloped into these, uh, these MMA gyms. Mm -hmm. You know, there'll be a, a Muay Thai class. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm a karate guy. I've, I've done karate. I love karate. Obstructor ranked in karate. If I was an Aikido guy looking for a striking system, I would be really a hard choice. Not really that hard. I'd probably do Muay Thai. Right. So Muay Thai does something interesting. They do kicking range, punching range, clinch range, mm -hmm. all all together, and they integrate. And that's a great comprehensive group. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool, and their sweeps that they do are more. Uh, they're not hip throws. They're like hip sweeps. Mm -hmm. I feel meld more into the Aikido technology more than other arts that I've seen more than even more than judo, mm -hmm. for example, you know, I feel like I see more Aikido in Muay Thai than I see in, in judo. And I think it comes um, down to the goal because Muay Thai doesn't have uh, a big ballistic throw being a fight ender the mm -hmm. way judo has its epon. It's going for that really big ballistic throw, and they've right. made that the winning condition, whereas just getting somebody to the ground is an advantage in Muay Thai. And so that, and I, I agree with you with the hip sweeps. I love those subtle, but yet compelling. You take somebody off their feet, even just kick sweeps and, and whatnot. That yeah, absolutely. Does. Those are, I love those things. The They're kick low catch. risk and high reward. Yeah, but like, like catching the kicks, Right. Like we've revamped our kick defenses. Uh, so Sensei was doing kick defenses forever, but there were karate-based kicks that he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've replaced those with Muay Thai kick catchers mm -hmm. just because I feel like, one, that's more likely what you're going to see um, now, currently. Um, and they just fit in with what, we, with what we do. So like I said, I, no disrespect to my fellow karate brethren, um, if you're in the DFW area and you want to do karate, come see us. We'd love to have you. You know, I'd love to, to work with you. But by and large, I, I think Muay Thai is a really good choice for an Aikidoka who's looking for a striking component. Uh, it's yeah. hard to beat Muay Thai. Yeah, it's, I, I, and as great a respect as I have for Muay Thai, it, do, it also has some limitations, a lot like sport. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that, that double head plumb works so well is they've taken out, you can't charge somebody back into the ring. You can't body lock them, lift them and dump them. So right. you take those, yeah. those responses out. And now that, that head cradle becomes very powerful because it's not counterable. You've removed the counters from the system. Yes. Um, so, but boy, what it has going for it really is fantastic. Um, 
really good stuff. I did want to cover kickboxing too. I listed it on here because you could almost take this from karate because the term kickboxing, as it was explained to me, was coined for Benny the Jet Nikitas. He was a karate guy. Originally, that's his background. And when he started to compete, he combined boxing with the kicking. And it they said, this doesn't look like a karate guy. This looks like yeah. a boxer who's kicking. He's a kickboxer. And so it always, firstly, I love Benny's humility and character. I can't think of a martial artist who's got who's more kind, generous, polite, respectful. He's not, it doesn't, I've not met him, but every time I see him, he seems to have the utmost respect for everybody and martial arts in general and is like a good, very good man. Um, I love that about him personally, but to say that he was able to blend the boxing striking with the kicking in such a seamless way that he pretty much defined that style and showed how effective it could be um, when mixed. And I, so I, I, like, I like that melding part. Yeah, I, I, I think the story is completely accurate. I think it may be Joe Lewis, first person who was attributed that term kickboxing. Could, he did it like could be, I don't know who actually him. did, yeah. But I think this is the same era. This is the same time. I think uh, uh, Sensei Benny was probably swept up in that same thing where they were like we like this karate stuff no one's gonna watch it mm -hmm. people like boxing right is there something we can do that's sensational and make people watch right and then i believe it was a uh, i think joe lewis said it was an announcer who was the first one to say and our first kickboxing match of all time, you know yeah. it was just kind of thrown out there in the and it stuck mm -hmm. um but yeah that's a, I, I agree with you i think it's a a really innovative thing to go like how do we and take if, if you're looking parts? for it i don't think it's terribly accessible you'd have to go to an mma gym and you're kind of getting mm -hmm. that they will teach you kicking and probably the striking of boxing for your hands and then a combination of probably groundwork and but but i did want to mention it just the kickboxing part just because of i think benny was every bit the well maybe not every bit the innovator but maybe he was that bruce lee was in melding these things together and then showing how potent they could be together. And he, ne by the way, and this is the other part, he never stopped saying, I've, I'm, a, I'm a karate guy. He never said, right. I've left it. I've, and this is where Bruce did. He, he basically said, I'm, I'm evolving it. I'm making my own art. I'm branding it. It's something different. Benny just said, it's fighting. You know, mm -hmm. I'm loyal to my karate and I feel that way about Aikido, even though I'm, I feel like I'm expanding my Aikido by, by blending it with other useful things that fit within its principles and framework. It, to me, it's still Aikido. It's right. You know, and, and I, I like his attitude for that. He's, he kept loyal and he, he, um, but he innovated. I think he. That, that's a, a great example. Kickboxing is a great example of that Tristan, because they invented a sport that did not exist. This does not exist. Mm -hmm. And they built, they invented this sport, but he said it comes from this. Mm -hmm. So like by that same token, if we're doing something in Aikido and, and people go, ah, that's not Aikido. I was like, it came from Aikido. I don't know what to tell you. Like, right. I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Right. I yeah. mean, and, and I, I want to put in here too. Uh, Ian Abernathy just put up a, a great video the other day. And it says that's not karate was the name of it. And he he really listed off most of the arguments about 
why that claim of that's not and you can fill in the blank for any art it can <laughs> whatever fit. Your art is. Go, whatever he just set each one up and just nailed it down and said you know what it's just you can't none of these arguments make sense yeah, and none so of them water. yeah this is the second video put this one down and go watch ian abernathy's go watch that that's not it's, video. it's fabulous if if you want to set aside your own biases and ego to say all right i want to be a better martial artist you could not get a better presentation than what abernathy put together Absolutely. so a little plug for him on that one um all right moving along i want to cover bartitsu uh and just briefly because this is something maybe people have heard about it uh it kind of made a big splash again after the sherlock holmes movies came out right uh this was i think edmund barton wright was his name he was a uh he blended together uh, back in the late 1800s. He saw great value in judo and jujitsu, cane fighting, and I think boxing. And he created a gym and he brought instructors in from these different arts to teach a, a blended art for, for self-defense. And eventually it, it, it was there for a few years and, and it, I guess it fizzled out that it never really caught on. But I think that he really was almost the Bruce Lee of his era, where he saw mm -hmm. influences from different arts that were valuable, that they could be brought together into a fairly cohesive system. And it didn't have a sport element, so there weren't Bartitsu competitions as far as I've heard, but they did seem to blend together very well. And uh, there are some books that you can have on it. There are uh, modern pr practitioners that are trying to recreate it because there were pictures and documents, documentation. and the source arts that they came from are still around. There is still judo. There's still jujitsu. These are active. So it's not like a, a total dinosaur art. You could kind of recreate it. And, and I think that there's a, a certain relevance when you have different arts that do different things. When they're brought together, they kind of fill in each other's holes and in each other's deficiencies. Um, so I wanted to mention that one just, in, just for uh and accessibility near zero i don't i don't know where yep. you'd find maybe the library yeah maybe. and it's you might find a group that's like a fan group of bartitsu that gets yeah. together and wears some steampunky looking outfits and <laughs> plays around but but there's it doesn't have a living lineage and it's i can't judge i dress yeah, in it, pajamas and exactly you know, but, but it's a fascinating no study um so i tell you Bruce Lee might be a good comparison. I feel like Amy Lichtenfeld would be a better comparison. So Amy Lichtenfeld uh, is the founder of Krav Maga, right? Okay. So right. it's more like that, right? He's going like, well, what would what would you need to to defend yourself? You need a striking mm -hmm. element, a grappling element, and a weapon element. And so, sure. like, original Krav Maga was karate, wrestling, weaponry, right? Mm -hmm. um, and much like any self defense system. It's just not going to catch on if there's no there's no trophies right there's right. no bragging rights like it's just a life skill it's just going to kind of fizzle out unless you can figure out a way to commercialize it some right. some other way yep so, and i um, think and that brings us to krav maga and i think that krav maga has kind of caught on there's there are the gyms for, to be had so it's fairly accessible uh it's a modern art I suppose in the same way Aikido at, at its time under the founder was mm -hmm. a modern art because it was assembled from, you know, basically what he thought was useful. Um, the strengths of, of it, I think it hit at a marketing time where seeing people in fatigues, 
yelling and, and pounding the crap out of each other in armor or pads would seem very appealing. Like that seems yes. to be a big part of, and everybody sees, you know, somebody kicking another person in the nuts and says, that's great self-defense. And that's a big right. part of what makes Krav popular. And, and they are doing a good job at marketing their art. Um, I do consider Krav Maga being more of a military art. I would put it in the combatives category, which mm -hmm. as much as I also respect Marine Corps martial arts and other, you know, old World War II combatives, even modern combatives, which is making a big resurgence now too. Um, and I've got the greatest respect for them and I study them. I like practicing them. I like going on the, all right, I need maximum firepower. How do I do it? Right. But there's a danger there. And this is where, you know, when I said Aikido is great because it's a civilian art, it's hard to tone down that maximum firepower rules of engagement for a civilian application. Um, and again, the rules for a battlefield are different than you on a, in, a, in a shopping mall or in, in a, on a street corner or by an ATM. Um, sometimes the maximum firepower thing could work for you and other times it could either leave you, uh, you know, having overdone the use of force or it just could leave you with a very guilty conscience. And I've met people that have used training like that and have been have PTSD issues from it. So mm -hmm. it, there's more than just a practical question. And I'm not, I'm not slamming Krav Maga at all, um, especially for people who can have some latitude. And I find that people who are smaller and women have more legal latitude to use force than me, a six foot four, 200 pound right. guy. If I use a lot of those tools and injure somebody, versus you know my wife who's five foot five she right, does right. the same thing i'm going to get charged and she won't so that could be a you know castigation of the legal system but it is what it is you know we it's a consideration i have kind of a complicated relationship with krav maga because not it's not personal i haven't trained trained it really mm -hmm. but on the one hand i really the thing about krav maga that i think is appealing mm -hmm. is i think a normal person can see it and go i could do that right i can lift my leg that high I could move my hand that far. If I, if I could just get the, the emotional content there, I could do that. And I think that's really powerful is yes. that you can just hand this thing to somebody and go like, yeah. Whereas if you looked at a high level Aikido demonstration, it's very likely somebody goes like, well, I can't flip around like that. Or I couldn't move that way or, sure. or something with jujitsu or whatever. Right. On the other hand, our karate branch of our Academy, I cannot tell you how many times we've been offered a nine hour, Krav Maga instructional seminar. Like we could have gotten our instructor's license in a weekend mm -hmm. and then we would be an official Krav Maga school, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of shady. Like that's that's problematic to me yeah. for two reasons. One, are you saying that there's nothing more in your art that can't be gotten in a weekend? That's not, that's not wrong. That's not bad. Right. But you're saying I should be qualified to instruct it the same as you mm -hmm. in a weekend. Uh, two... And I think um, that's part of their marketing program. That's part of their marketing, right? That's why you're finding them more accessible mm -hmm. is because they're going to karate school. And I'd say that, I don't know who they are. You know, some people are going to karate schools. They give you your instructorship, right? You are now a Krav Maga. I'm like, well, but I'm just doing karate. Like, mm -hmm. basically, you just gave me the right to use this name on top of it. 
Right. Um, so I have a complicated relationship with that because mm-hmm. on the one hand, I like the ethos of what it probably originally was meant to be. But in practice, I'm like, I don't know, guys. So I would say if you're looking at Krav Maga, ask questions. Yeah. What, did, what did it take to become an instructor? And, and it doesn't matter. If, if you're satisfied with somebody who was a good martial artist and in a weekend getting this instructor, if you're satisfied with that, I think that's fine. I, I don't think that's a problem, but you should know. You right. should know the difference between somebody who's been doing Krav for 20 years and a guy who did Krav last weekend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just different. You know, it should Absolutely. be different. Yep. Outside um, the scope of the conversation, but no, that's quite think. all right. That's that's yeah. yeah, we're just kind of drawing about what these different things have going for them and, and even some things that are possibly you know limitations. Um there's a couple that I wanted to mention too, and one is uh kung fu and it's and it's I guess cousin tai chi. Now I've heard it explained that kung fu, and again, there's many different forms and styles of kung fu, kind of like karate, uh, that it Kung Fu is the, the physical, practical martial art, and Tai Chi is essentially the uh, practice expression. Like you're, you're working on your kata, you're working on your form. It's your form practice. Now, over the years, I've met combat Tai Chi instructors and practitioners. They are in the extreme minority, I guess, kind of the same way in Aikido, people who are the real deal practical uh, practitioners are in the minority where Tai Chi tends to be viewed as more of that academic art. And then Kung Fu is on the practical application side. And if there was one thing that, that struck me that, and I don't want to summarize Kung Fu so much because there's so much to it. I have great sure. respect for it. It is a very athletic art when, when I see, you know, the things like Wushu and, and the, I mean, there's not, there's not very much for subtle Kung Fu. It seems to be, you have to be young and athletic to do it. Um, and that would be one of those things. Me personally, is you know, I'm I'm over fifty. I'm not going to be doing capoeira. I'm not going to be doing, uh, you know, these deep stance jumping around. You know what you normally associate with a lot of kung fu. And like I said, there's probably some more subtle versions of kung fu out there. But the one thing I I really wish Aikido could take on is the idea that there's a separation between the academic study of Aikido and the physical study of it. If it had a separate name like Kung Fu and Tai Chi does, boy, that would solve so many problems of people going, what you're doing is not Aikido. Right. I, I, I would love to see something like that, or even without a different word for it, just the accept the acceptance of the idea. I like doing Aikido for the practice, the technical practice and the form, much like people doing Tai Chi out in the park where they're doing their movements and there's they don't have any any live work going on. That's fine. You know, that's okay. It's even okay to call, call it Aikido or, you know, call it Tai Chi as long as you're not saying this is going to work for you in a self-defense application. And I remember seeing, what is it, two years ago or something, there was some Tai Chi senior instructor guy that challenged this MMA dude and just got murdered. Right. Yeah. He was not a combat Tai Chi guy, very clearly, but he felt through doing all his movement practices that he could go against an athlete and just got annihilated. That sort of thing breaks my heart because it means that that pr- practitioner got lured into a delusion and delusions are harmful, um, especially when they get to that to that level. Um, yeah, so. so if I understand correctly, Kung Fu 
is is a catch-all term like it you is. mentioned mm-hmm. um for many 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 different styles so i mean um you know you'd have to be real specific about you know what are we learning are we learning mantis are we learning mm-hmm. shaolin are we learning hangar are we learning mm-hmm. are we learning tai chi um but i think you're right like the thing about tai chi is it has almost across the board been labeled as a movement exercise mm-hmm. and then there are people and again rare that apply it mm-hmm. and um i mean i think you just got to ask like do you guys apply the form? If not, that's fine. I, it just, if that's what you're looking for, then you need to know, right? You just need to know what it is that you're, you're getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need and to by, ask enough questions that you feel confident that you're being told the truth, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and by sample size, I think what's accessible is that exercise form Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. What's harder to find is going to be that combat Tai Chi. Right. You know, and you know, it's funny, this is, almost true of any of these arts that we've discussed there was something i nearly posted on the forum the other day but i didn't because it was more tai chi based mm-hmm. than it was aikido based but there was this wrestler he's in this college mat room he's got all these like these college kids or high school kids around and uh this guy comes in and he tackles him and this coach kind of like shrugs and it looks sort of like our kokunage yep. type stuff mm-hmm. and then the coach stands up and he goes like this right mm-hmm. i'm like it's tai chi like he's right. doing He's literally doing the Tai Chi form mm-hmm. after he just demonstrated the application. Sure. So the reason I didn't post it was because it looked more Tai Chi-ish than it did Aikido. Sure. But my point in that is, if you train in a lot of these arts, I think you're going to wind up recreating other arts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if you took wrestling, uh, just like regular college wrestling or high school wrestling, and said, but your partner's going to have a knife, mm-hmm. and there might be more than one person. And, you know, and you go, okay, the things that you select, your technique selection, your tactic selection, it's not really technique, your tactic selection is going to look really close to Aikido, I think. I, I really feel. Yeah. Now, if you said it's you and this other guy, you can, you can throw, there's no one else, no weapons, no nothing, right? And you have a mat, it's probably going to look pretty close to jujitsu because you've set up these, like you're going to hit the ground. And then you're going to be scrambling around on the ground because you know there's no like knife, you know there's no other people. Mm-hmm. You will recreate jujitsu. I can take two kids and they can re- recreate jujitsu mm-hmm. by giving them the the, the parameters. Right. Yeah, good point. You know, so I feel like Tai Chi. You could recreate Tai Chi in, in a wrestling match. You know, mm-hmm. you if you told a college wrestler, show me your favorite moves, but do it without a partner. He's going to do like. He's going to go down to sweep. He's going to do, you know, he's going to come over here to to frame. And like, it's not in order, but you sure are doing a lot of Tai Chi right now, you know? So I I think you can rebuild most of these arts just through, through application and then reverse, reverse engineering them. Right. And that's right. I mean, all these arts and their labels, it's easy to get caught up in labels, but when you start looking at the practical application, you see so much crossover. And the more I've cross-trained, Initially, I saw, boy, everything is so different. You know, boxing and and wrestling are also different. But when you start to really get into them, you see all the principles that that these arts have in common. And I saw a lot of crossover, whether it's body mechanics, tactical application, um, principle application. All those things had more in common than they did in difference. And where the differences are usually came down to a specific sport rule that allowed for that difference 
Um, and, you know, uh, the sport rules don't, don't really have much appeal for me. I'm not that interested in them, but, um, you know, it's the reality part that I'm more, more. You could say parameters, right? Based parameters, on the parameters, yeah. that's what's going to determine how close. So, for example, the closest Kali system I've seen to Aikido is Kiki Tertia. The parameters are close. Mm -hmm. Weapons-based environment, possible multiple attackers. So, you know what you see? A lot of footwork. Tons right. of footwork. A lot of flanking. Um, a lot of turning, you know, with your strikes and things like that. Sure. But if you go to another art that's more like a modern Eskrima, where it's dual based yeah, or it's, fencing it's or fencing yeah. right it's kendo, in and out. yeah mm -hmm. yeah. but if you took a kendo uh let's say a fencing player and you put four fencers over there and said you got to fight all four of those fencers mm -hmm. that footwork's going to look different right, right? Mm -hmm. the sword move is good i bet you that other hand starts coming into play right yep. and it's going to start looking a lot more uh filipino you know mm -hmm. um so yeah it's, it's the parameters that that a lot of times will determine how close arts are to to other arts. Yeah, absolutely. So just something to keep in mind for you guys yeah. who are trying to cross train. You know, you want similar parameters, you want very different parameters. You know, it's just the factor. Exactly. Um, we've been going about ninety minutes. I, there's one more I want to mention in here, and, and there's a couple honorable mentions that I'll probably throw up uh, after this one. But I want to talk about Sistema, and I think Sistema and Aikido have something in common. And one would initially look and say, well, it's probably the blending and the, and the soft motion and whatnot. But I think what they have in common is there are some charlatans in the Sistema world. I've seen some instruction and that looks so hokey and fake to me and just absolute nonsense that it drives me crazy. And this, I'd say the same thing about Aikido. There are some, some times when I'll see something, whether it's in person and it just makes my teeth itch. It just is so bad. And I, what I've seen of a Sistema, and granted, I've only met one Sistema instructor in person who was, I view as the real deal. What he showed me was, I took quite a bit from him. But he, even he admitted, unfortunately, the Sistema world has got, it's plagued by some of the nonsense. And that, I, I find that problematic. Um, Sistema is very, uh, there aren't many places to learn it. It's not a very accessible art. Um, what I've heard of the background, uh, and this came from the Sistema instructor that I brought in for a seminar, was that Sistema really is an umbrella art. It was not uh, a cohesive one like you would imagine a Japanese rue or a, a sure. school or a lineage. Instead, it was kind of like just how people fought. And because Russia was so huge, you have the influence on the, the Eastern side from things like Nordic wrestling, Western boxing. Their martial art had to, the Russian side had to deal with the exposure to that type of fighting. Then you go to the, the other side of Russia where it's dealing with Mongolia, China, you're dealing with smaller opponents who are using Kung Fu, Wing Chun, other in, not only other martial influences, but just a whole different size of people. So now their martial art on the other side of Russia was different. It had to form to deal with that challenge. And the other, other thing that I've thrown in that I've heard was, and this is from people that were from Russia said, what are you talking about this Sistema? I've never even heard of it. <laughs> now, 
where does that leave me? I don't know. I, I really can't say that I know enough of the lineage of Sistema. I know that it claims that it has historical lineage. It claims that it is the martial art that's taught to the Spetsnaz and military and, and things like that. Uh, it might be. It, I'm not, I can't, I don't know enough to challenge it. Um, but I do think that much like Aikido, you have to hunt around to find somebody who really knows it for real and not to be like a nonsense uh, sort of thing. What I will also say is, and I've been taught some of the Sistema punches and how to do that loose, that loose whip thing. And it does hit hard. What I've never seen is that used in any act or that mechanic used in any active type of a situation. If you're hitting somebody that ain't moving, that's just standing there. Yeah, you can hit hard, but you can do that with any punch. Right. So does, does that looseness apply to live fire? I don't know. The other thing about Sistema, I know they do a lot of like slow rolling practice, uh, flow practice type stuff, but it, that feels to me more on the academic end than it does on the live opponent end. Yeah. And, and so, so that's like, like an attribute drill or something more than it is tactical, right? right? And, and my, my danger, and this is just, you know, I know I described this with the academic part, my only issue with academics is sometimes they get so they lose the forest through the trees by by getting so deep into technical details that they miss really big things that would be bloody obvious if they were in a live environment. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they can create some pretty big misunderstandings about practicality and and with any martial art to me that that live element, even if it's a drill where you say, OK, you're the attacker, you're the defender attacker you can attack however you want you get them and you have to deal with that that is a drill it's an exercise it's not a full-on competition although it feels like it because yeah. you're getting pretty damn close but if you don't deal with that then the problem is is the, the stuff that sounds plausible in the academic realm can be nonsense but you don't know it's nonsense right that and that's the danger yeah i one of the practices that we do in our Aikido program uh, that I'm trying to be just dogmatic about is labeling what it is that we are doing. Mm -hmm. This is for attribute development. This is for flow. This is about the uke, so the uke can learn how to do this. This is tactical. This is if somebody was trying to, you know, mm -hmm. put a pen in your neck, like these are the things that need to happen so that, that doesn't occur, right? And I'm just trying to be very clear about everything we do. And if an art isn't clear, it's really easy to shift into those right. other things. So what I would say is if you're, if you're again, looking to cross train, figure your goal setting is so important. Are you learning? Do you want to learn how to fight? Because that's a gap that was missing in your Aikido training. Remember, everyone that came to us and say, they knew how to fight already. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you go like, I, that is a gap that I have. You probably want to hit an art that teaches you how to fight, you know, and those are probably going to be in the combat sport realm, you know, mm -hmm. but if you go like, all right, that's not really as interesting to me, but man, I, I'm really tense. I'm too tense. And my Aikido suffering because I'm too tense. But you see the way those systemic guys move, like everything oh, yeah. about them just looks like ink. Mm -hmm. Who cares whether it, it, it's going to help me fight or not? I want to move like that. Mm -hmm. Go check it out. You know, same thing, man. I love the breathing that those Tai Chi guys are, are, doing would that maybe help my my grappling if when i got into a clinch i didn't i didn't hold my breath you know would that be beneficial 
Mm-hmm. So as long as you're clear on your goals, uh, as I'm talking as an Aikido practitioner, any art that you choose to cross train, you just got to make sure it, it hits those goals. Uh, you know, ask, I'm sound like a broken record, ask questions, make sure, you know, make sure that it, because then you're not wasting your time. You're not wasting your instructor's time. You know what right. I mean? Um, I, I think probably or, a lot of, or people, you don't spend time traveling to a location. You don't want to go and exactly. then wind up getting there and being upset. They're, uh, you know, irritated that you're in not where you wanted to be. And, and sometimes that's on the instructor because they've, mm-hmm. they've falsified they mislead you, you know, what they're all yeah. about. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just, you didn't ask the correct questions. You walked in with an expectation that the instructor did not promise to me. He right. never said that this is what it was going to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and those things are important. I feel like to get the most out of your, of any training, but specifically cross training because cross training is a big deal. It was, it was thumbs down a lot as we were coming up mm-hmm. and as it's becoming more accepted and even expected, um you want to make the most out of your cross training you know it's hard enough to train one on with our busy lives you know you want to make sure you're getting the most out of it if you're starting to do two three four arts something like that so well there's a couple more that i i was thinking to 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 mention here but i think we're running a little bit short on time um i really like this discussion uh and by the way if you're listening to this and you are interested in other arts that you'd like us to talk about please let me know uh, we could probably do another one of these. Uh, there's so many martial arts out there uh, that are, you know, uh, fantastic. They're, you know, really good. Others are good for the people that they like. That's what they do. And I would count a lot of kata-based arts in there. Uh, and the, we could do fill a whole show on just kata-based arts. But um, if all you're doing is training the movements, to me, that's almost as boring as just going to a gym and and lifting weights or uh, getting on a treadmill for a while and it's good for your body, but I don't know. I like the mind engagement and Kata does a a bit of mind engagement too. Don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, again, it's, you either play tennis with a ball and an opponent or you're swinging a racket around in the air. To me, I appreciate that the live opponent thing. I think that that's a crucial set of skills. Uh, is there anything you'd like to wrap up with Ellen? No, I just, I, I will say one of the things my sensei always said was that all the arts are beautiful. He, he would say that constantly. He's, his bias was toward Aikido, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep an open mind, you know, be a good martial citizen, see, what, see what's out there, engage in conversations. Don't be so quick to shut things down, both outside of Aikido and especially inside of Aikido. Don't, don't cannibalize ourselves, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things out there, and they're all they can they can serve to make us better if we so choose. So and there, there's gold to be found in other arts, no matter how advanced you are in your own art, whether it's Aikido or anything. You know, remember the wonder when you found the gold within your own art, like that that amazing sense of of uh, I don't know, just just I found it be it was a sense of wonder. Like, wow, this can do this? I mean, this is amazing. All arts have a portion of that. And, and I love finding it from, from any source um, and much less making it my own. So uh, yeah, with that, um, also let us know if you would like to have us go into any, any particular arts more in depth. Uh, some I can, I can speak about. Uh, we can find people that uh, can come on the show that can talk to them about them in depth. 
there's so much interesting material out there in terms of all the martial arts, whether it's stories of how they came about, uh, their lineage, that sort of thing. I always love things like that. So uh, I like if we can bring that stuff to, to you, the listener, and you're interested in that, I'm happy to give it a shot. So thank you very much today, Oliver. It's been a great discussion. This is awesome as always. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You bet. Take care and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.